0: I'm M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels.
1: And I'm Dawn Tess, better known as the Dawn of Beer.
0: Welcome to the 16th episode of the All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you're feeling generous or like what we do, visit our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. This week on the show, we're going to talk about the queen bee of strong beers, the barley wine. Our guests are beer historian and author Martin Cornell and the founder of Don't Drink Beer and the one who proclaimed barley wine is life, Alex Kidd. Don, I got to know, are you English barley wine or American barley wine?
1: Uh, I'm going to take a cop out answer and, and and say both. Ah. I <laughs> well you know i love all all beer but i love i love the hoppiness of barley wine i am american barley wine i am uh you know a hophead. but i also love tradition and you know proper english ale just you just can't beat it so mm-hmm. uh really i drink anything because i'm i'm a lush how about you am <laughs> i Are
0: was you? also i was also going to do the comments. <laughs> oh, okay
1: <laughs> i scooped because, your answer
0: ah because i like so this is what i love American barley wines for the assertiveness, the um, you know, they're just really, really unique. There's a lot of really great ones out there, classic ones. They showcase uh, kind of a historic history of uh, American brewing, since a lot of these came around in like the 80s and 90s. They're a lovely throwback to the like old school American scene. Mm-hmm. And then I just I love English barley wines for their character that like rich malt. I love when they're barrel aged, you get a little barrel character. Um, they're just really lovely, drinkable after dinner. They're like great on its own. I want a little fire. I want to put my feet up. I want a little barley wine, and mm-hmm. then I want to lie down, take a nap.
1: Maris Otter um, malt, I like. Yeah,
0: the English ingredients yeah, uh, exactly. really shine, especially the malt profile. It's just, it's a, it's a great showcase for malt. I, I you know, I just, I love it. I love barley wines. They're great in moderation, obviously, because they're, they're big. Those are big children. The, the- <laughs> Um, But yeah, we'll get into a conversation and introduce our guests. But first, if you'd like to help support the All About Beer podcast, reach out to podcast at allaboutbeer.com.
2: All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts.
3: Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the -the state-of-the-art facility in Acaruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram.
0: Martin Cornell is an internationally recognized expert on the history of beer brewing and beer styles, as well as an educator and a consultant. He has spoken on beer conferences in Denmark, the Netherlands, Brazil, the United Kingdom, and the United States, and his work has been translated into more than half a dozen languages, including Swedish, Italian, German, Greek, and Portuguese. And he has written about beer for more than 30 publications from Hong Kong to the United States. His books include Beer, the Story of a Pint, Amber, Gold, and Black, A History of British Beer Styles, which was translated into Portuguese and published as A Historia das Cervejas Britannicas. I apologize for um, our Portuguese listeners for that um, butchering of your language. And Strange Tales of Ale. He is a contributor to the Brazilian publication Guia de Somaria de-, de Cervejas, he is a multiple award winner at both the British Guild of Beer Writers Awards, including Beer Writer of the Year, and the North American Guild of Beer Writer Awards. Welcome to the show, Martin.
4: Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. Very glad to be well, here.
0: We are so glad you are here. Yes. Because We're here to talk about barley wines. Um, can you give our listeners a very brief history on the history of the english barley wine starting from i'm assuming bass number one is the first barley wine or am i mistaken
4: uh well it it depends on your definitions as these things so often do um so to try to try to cut the story as short as possible um once once British brewers discovered uh, that with hops you could really store beer a very long time, um, they started making it stronger and stronger and storing it for longer and longer. Uh, and so by the middle of the 18th century, they were getting up to really long stored beers, particularly um, the kind of aristocratic brewers who would have breweries for their estate workers. And these guys were keeping beers sometimes more than 20 years Mm. uh, before they they finally tapped it. Obviously, that's not a thing that any commercial brewer could do. uh, But commercial brewers were still uh, producing um, pretty strong beers up around the the kind of 11, 12 percent mark and Mm -hmm. uh, storing them for a a year or two or more and then selling these uh, commercially you know, obviously at a, at a high price, Um certainly by the start of the uh, 19th century, and these beers were being exported, uh, funnily enough, these were the beers that were at first exported to Russia uh, from Burton-on-Trent, which specialised in these sorts of strong beers, uh, before um, the Imperial Stouts and so on was oh. began to be exported huh. to Russia. I did uh, not
0: know that. I also did not later, know that.
4: They they later also uh, found uh, themselves being used on Arctic expeditions. Uh, So there was another brewer in uh, Burton-on-Trent Samuel also. Uh, They famously produced uh, an Arctic ale, which was again was around about um, original gravity, well up over the uh, 1100, um, around about 12-13% alcohol. And famously, this beer, it would freeze in the freezing cold, but it it really wasn't harmed when you thawed it out again. So uh, they didn't call these beers barley wines. That was not really an expression that that was used uh, particularly. Um, And it was only really kind of uh, exporters and the export trade that first started calling these these beers barley wines. So barley wine is... uh, The beers were around, but they weren't called barley wines. They were just called very strong ales, strong ales or, or you know, or Arctic ales or whatever. Uh, and it's not really until the, probably the second half of the 20th century that you start to see the, the term in Britain, barley wine uh, being used. Um, and we use it as two words. We spell it as two words. We say barley wine rather than barley wine. Oh. <laughs> uh, mostly these beers were uh, quite dark, um, you know, kind of, deep ochre or whatever deep brown uh and the first um pale barley wine wasn't brewed in britain until uh about 1954 if i remember correctly uh brewed by a um a brewer in sheffield in in the north of england uh, and it was called gold label and it was famous uh again for um they used to, they used to sell it as uh as a double scotch and half the price which is not, a, not a, an <laughs> avatar slogan you could use today. Uh, but certainly um bat number one is generally regarded as uh the first beer that, that was called a barley wine, although um not until it I mean you start to see records of number one being brewed um in the 1830s. And it doesn't actually start to be called a barley wine until about uh 60 or 70 years after that.
2: Oh, so man.
4: um I hope that's not gone too long, but that's a fairly fairly short I think um, explanation of what we now call barley wines as far as British brewing history is concerned.
0: So they've been around for way longer than their namesake, is what you're saying?
4: Yeah. Cool. I mean, those sorts of strong beers that we now call barley wines mm-hmm. do have pr- pretty long uh, history. Um, but mostly, as I say, uh, brewed by private brewers because they were the only guys that could afford uh, the massive amounts of um, malt that went into these things and, and the storage time to uh to mature them.
1: Hmm. So, when I drink a barley wine, I should think of myself as like royalty, basically.
0: You do that all the time, Don. <laughs> <laughs> and those were the glasses those like ones that were served in those tiny, I've seen those glasses with the like little like malt on them like in books i think it's in tasting beer or some other beer books where you're drinking them out of the you're not having like a huge pint of this you're having like a cup just a couple of ounces when we're talking about these estate beers correct
4: yeah those those beautiful little uh engraved glasses with the engraved uh barley on them and the, and the hops and uh sometimes you see because they they use these as buttered beers they, they would put butter in them so no. like butterfly what? Yeah, yeah. Do, do not ask you why or how. I'm not really certain how that works. Um, but buttered ales was a thing, yes. And uh unfortunately I've always wanted one, but they cost probably about uh six hundred, seven hundred dollars. Oh my.
0: <laughs> oh geez, okay.
4: This is an original kind of 18, early, you know, late eighteenth century um engraved beer, beer stemmed beer glass. So they're pretty expensive but wow. some still exist but they are. Hmm. if you want one you have
0: to pay a lot of money for yeah them. not gonna no I'll just go to a museum <laughs>
1: <laughs> um I have to ask then Martin have you ever actually tried adding butter to a barley wine that you've consumed
4: no I've done uh, uh um the eggs flip thing uh which is where you uh boil the beer or heat the beer with eggs and then pour it you can't see me demonstrating this you (laughs) pour it from a great height into the glass uh and and that's quite tasty but I've never done the butter thing no
1: with eggs eggs okay so like I've learned so much already (laughs) (laughs) wow okay that's cool
0: Wow! Yeah, the like the drinking culture of the 18th and 19th centuries, and where like the lead up to barley wine seems a little like the, there's like spicing and wassail and all sorts of like unique like oh, yeah. drinking things that are yeah. that are really fascinating that are very very British. In my <laughs> right. opinion,
4: the uh, the, the, the long aged uh, beers I talked about. Um, this is a this is a thing. Um, that that kind of disappeared out of out of people's knowledge and it wasn't until I started finding these references in in newspapers to what was going on they uh, when the uh, the heir to the estate was born when Lord whomsoever Lord Mm. muck of wherever uh, had (laughs) his firstborn son that autumn they would they would stop brewing for a brief while the normal beers for the estate workers, which was just, you know, kind of harvest ales and things like that, and devote everything to brewing a really, really strong beer, um, which they would then lay down for 21 years until that firstborn son came of age, and then they would broach that beer at his party. And they they would throw huge parties for literally. Thousands of people sometimes, you know, and have several oxes roasted and a you know a small herd of sheep as a side dish and all the rest of it, and and drink this 21-year-old beer. Mm-hmm. And just mind-boggling. I just I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm getting too old. If somebody brewed if somebody brewed one now, I probably wouldn't be around to try it. Um, <laughs> but just love that's you know which historical beer would you most like to try? One of those 21-year-old coming-of-age beers. Would yeah. Be just wonderful. And actually, and you won't find references to these uh, in any brewery history book, uh, beer history book. People kind of forgot about them, although strangely enough, they are mentioned in a couple of 19th century novels. Um, I don't know if you uh, know George Eliot's uh, mm-hmm. adam Bede, um those those uh english literature graduates might might
0: not yet no, yep, no. <laughs> she,
4: she mentions um the fact that the local uh, squire was going to have a party for his eldest son's coming of age and all the uh local farm workers who had been invited along to the party um talking about they wondered what the beer was going to be like after 21 years so you know, there are there were references to this beer but it but um, it it got forgotten about and it's only now uh, that you can find you can search uh old newspapers on the internet that you can discover that this was actually you know quite a common thing
0: hmm.
1: would you um it
4: only, it only died out uh, the, i think the last one was made just before the first world war because the oh. problem was um that they started taxing uh, oh yeah brew. the
0: abv oh and yeah. taxation uh, of homebrew
4: nobody could afford to brew this stuff anymore because it was just too strong wow uh, even though yeah even the and the whatever oh. couldn't afford to to brew it so it died out sadly
0: hmm. you know
1: of course a lot of people know or think that uh barley modern barley wines they're okay to lay down and and let them age but could an argument be made that really not merely that they can be aged but really that they should be aged
4: i think i well it, i think you've certainly got to have um some you know a, a minimum of a year or two and you've got to i think let something like bretonomyces get in there because you're going to have a lot of uh higher sugars um that ordinary brewing yeast you know the ordinary Saccharomyces cerevisiae just gives up on. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not careful, it, it's really going to taste um, pretty strange and undrinkable. I remember uh, another famous um, British barley wine, uh, was is of course, Thomas Hardy Ale. Uh, yes, sir. And Th- Thomas Hardy Ale, uh, under about a year and a half old, was pretty disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really undrinkable, really kind of bar my and um, I'm, I'm using an expression that probably most Americans don't know. About. you know really um, not very nice at all, but give it some age and and let, because of course it was a bottle conditioned beer, let uh, all the microorganisms left in the bottle have a go at it and by about three years, it was really starting to turn into something special. So I think, yes, generally speaking, um, a good barley wine needs some age on it.
0: What else does a good barley wine need? Like, what do you look for when you have a barley wine?
4: Um, I look for a, a, a good balance between, you just gonna have some sweetness and I think you probably need some sweetness, but I like some some dryness under there as well um uh, i'm not necessarily expecting any any kind of uh floral hot character or anything like that apart from anything else that's obviously going to disappear if it's been aged properly anyway you know i don't think i don't think floral hot character is going to last much more than about six months to a year at maximum um i like some sorts of um Bretty character in there um you know the, the esters that you get for that sort of yeast working away um but fundamentally i don't want anything too sweet as i say it's got to be it's got to have some sweetness in there but the sweetness should not be for me the sweetness should not be uh dominating and there should be some a little bit maybe a tiny bit of tartness in the background Mm. and uh some dryness as well just to balance it out. I mean, a good barley wine should should be delivering loads and loads of different things if it's worked properly.
0: It is such a complex beer. So, you, yeah, yeah, I totally see that. Like, I want you want a lot of different things. I like how barley wines, there's like a beginning, middle and end where it's almost like yeah. a lot of different beers. And then the finish kind of is is the like example or like the expression of what the barley wine is. If there's, if you get so many different things throughout. It's a journey
4: mm yeah perfect yeah uh, and yeah, certainly you want something that's going to have a really long uh mm. aftertaste and and some good mouthfeel as well it's just you know you don't want anything that's going to be thin yeah in the mouth for sure
0: Don I bet you have a nerdy question <laughs> that I you're actually, dying to ask
4: well
1: I think you've actually kind of asked uh answered them Martin I wanted to ask if if uh in brewing barley wines uh it would have been the first of a party guile but it sounds like they were actually one-off brews they were special brews
4: i think well uh it would depend on who was doing it i think as far as the amateur guys were concerned um yes they probably were um putting through something really really strong and that, and that would be it so I, I don't know they might have made um some small beer afterwards off it. Um as far as the uh commercial brewers were concerned, yes, I think they probably were uh party guarding and uh, you know doing all sorts of uh other things on the the um, second or third mash with the leftovers, you know, diverting that really strong first uh mash away to be the whatever the barley wine. Um and then making other uh, lower gravity beers from, from the, the second or third mash. I mean, something like now, bass number no. one uh, was actually a part of a whole uh, range of beers, all the way oh, down to bass number no. Oh, okay. Um, that, that, that was uh, in a particular style um, known as Burton Ale, which is terribly confusing mm. <laughs> because people think Burton Ale it must be like IPA. But no, this was the beer that the Burton brewers made before they started making IPA. And it's a uh, very, really quite fruity, um, you know, touch of sweetness in there, even at the, the lower gravity levels. Um, so the first uh, two or three Burton Ales were quite strong. So Number one was very strong. And that was eleven percent and over. Number two was about you know nine percent. Number three was about seven and a half, eight percent, and then down. And so by the time you got to numbers uh, four, five, and six, they were uh, being sold as mild ales. So they were still the same grain bill,
1: mm-hmm. but a
4: lot, lot down around about four percent and you know four and a half percent. Right. But that was that was very specific to the to the Burton ales. And uh, and most of the Burton brewers, all of the Burton brewers um, made these Burton ales at at various grades and they all called them, uh, many of them called their their top one number one. Um, Others had uh, different names for them Worthington, uh, another big Burton on Trent brewer um, has bizarre ways of naming their beers and I think they called their I may be getting this wrong, but they called their top of the range barley wine st- style uh, Burton Ale uh, Worthington B or something.
5: something. Oh.
4: <laughs> and that's uh, and they called their their mainstream IPA. And you may have seen this if you ever see uh, British uh, keg beers from the nineteen sixties. They called their mainstream IPA for some reason Worthington E. Hmm. Nobody nobody knows why or how they chose these these letters for these for these things. But that's that was Worthington always was a very odd brewery.
1: <laughs> the the only thing more ridiculous was the monetary system. With shillings yeah. <laughs> and pen. Anyways, that's a sidetrack. Sorry.
4: <laughs> I've just been I've just been just completely apropos of absolutely nothing at all. Uh I've just been um doing some research into um uh, the Spaten brewery in Munich, and I was uh, Amazed to discover that uh, in the 18th century, the Bavarians too used the pound or Pfund in German, uh, and there were there were 240 pennies Fenig uh, to the Bavarian Pfund, so oh. exactly the same uh, system as we had in the UK until decimalization. So we weren't the only ones. with this
0: okay. well. weird. <laughs> that is
4: totally weird. Decimal-based system.
0: <laughs> are there um are there any breweries that used to make a barley wine that you're like man i wish they still made that um brewing brewery that's that's defunct or not like what what do you miss if there are breweries that are made barley wines that you can't get anymore are there any things that you're you wish you could drink
4: yeah i, mean, I wish i could drink uh bass number one um you know that was being brewed occasionally they when they had um the little uh, uh, experimental brewery um, at the Bass Brewery, which was turned when it when it was taken over, it was turned into something called the Worthington White Shield Brewery. Worthington White Shield being a famous uh, bottled IPA, and they occasionally did these one-offs. Um, they did a great version of uh, Bass's Imperial Russian Stout, which is called P Two, yeah. um, and that was a Gorgeous, gorgeous beer, and very occasionally you, they would produce the number one, and it was a lovely beer. Um, but that's that's vanished. Um, I'm, I, you know, I am not sure what is happening these days to uh, Thomas Hardy Ale. It was being made by some Italians at, yes. uh, at one point. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's the last uh, I heard as well. Yeah.
4: So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. But again, uh, you know, that was a that was a lovely, lovely beer. Um, but you still do, there are some great barley wines being made by uh, by British brewers. There's a uh, little brewery uh, in Surrey, about uh, 20 miles outside London, um, called Hogsback. And um, they do an, an excellent uh, barley wine called, um, if I'm remembering correctly, A over T. Uh, which they claim stands for aromas ro- a over Tongham, Tongham being the, the town where they're based, and everybody else knows really stands for us over tit. Oh. If I could say that. No, right. you're good. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on an American podcast. <laughs> um, that, that, that's a fantastic Bali one. I I've, I've rarely get hold of it, but when I do, I always enjoy it.
0: Do you get any American barley wines over there or have had any experience with the American barley wines and I, do you have, have any the the
4: barley wines um I wish I could remember ones that I've enjoyed um off the top of my head you put me on the spot here but certainly yeah I've had some good American barley wines
0: Do you um, like that like hoppiness versus the way that the English make it or I mean I know they're different
4: Yeah they tend they tend um in my experience they seem they do seem to tend to be um you know uh, on that um very very floral hop forward uh line of things and as i said i don't think that works if you're going to have a beer that that lays down or you're going Mm -hmm. to lay down because it will just disappear um but you know uh providing that you're not getting too much um sweetness in the beer that can still work very well mm-hmm. um yeah it's there is nothing wrong necessarily uh with having a um a hot forward rural hobby uh barley wine um if that's what you like and it can it can work well
0: <laughs> oh yeah they're uh, they're great they're just yeah they're a lot I always like a little bit of age on them to get rid rid of the bitter yeah to knock down (laughs) the bitterness slightly um but you do lose that floral hop aroma and character that you say so that's that's kind of the trade-off with american barley wines yeah Um, Yeah,
4: that's always of course the, the huge difference uh between the uh original ipa uh which was aged for anything up to a year um and specifically so that the uh it would end up as, as dry as possible um and of course all the any hot character would totally vanish um and today's ipas which of course uh, uh, the, the american ipa is meant to uh, and does major in that uh, hot floral hot character um and uh, oh fantastic for it but <laughs> it's just you know when you're talking about getting off the subject here when you're talking about the history of ipa you always have to mm-hmm. say by the way actually but i think there's there's probably more closeness uh in in a a, a modern american barley wine and uh the original Brit- british barley wine simply because you know the, the the strength and the power is what it's all about fundamentally and that's that's going to be there with, with both of them. And, um, the, the hop thing is, I don't think I might be entirely wrong here. I don't think the hop thing is as important in a barley wine as it is in an IPA.
0: Mm. Tell me, I, I might be wrong. No, I think you're, I think that's right. Cause you want the, the hops are there to balance the malt. So it's like a, a lot of everything and you kind of want to yeah. strike yeah. that, balance the with an IPA it's all you're looking for hop character and a barley wine I'm not looking for hop character
1: no I, yeah. I'm just trying to think if uh, I've had an American barley wine or even a British barley wine other than Thomas Hardy that has that would have had uh Britannomyces in it because Martin you mentioned that that would have been very important for uh for a barley wine you know originally um yeah. but I think that might be something that modern brewers have lost
4: um yes I, I i am not um a technical brewer so i can't comment on that yeah. but i think um i think brett really brings brings a character to any any strong beer and i like to see it in there yeah um, and uh certainly you know the um things like um the original Arctic Ale, uh, they would have had Brett in there simply because it was ubiquitous in any yes. brewery. Mm, yes. <laughs> century, you know, they didn't know what it was, uh, right. but they just knew that, it, that leaving leaving beer around for uh, a few months had an effect, and that of course was the was the Brett doing its thing.
1: And of course, uh, Brettanomyces actually means British fungus, so. Uh, uh, well i
4: mean, yeah. it was discovered in a in a stock ale uh, I'm telling you a story you you know or it was um discovered and announced in a, in a uh, a stock ale uh, by Niels Thiggy Clausen um in Copenhagen there's a story you may not know you may not know this one um it had actually been discovered earlier uh by a um chemist and scientist Uh, working for Guinness in Dublin. Hmm. Uh, But Guinness were and are a hugely, hugely secretive company, and they wouldn't let him publish this discovery. Uh, Hmm. And it wasn't until the 1940s, I think, that somebody found the papers that he had written at the time and realised that uh, about eight years before the guy in Copenhagen um, he had discovered and isolated what was later called Bretonomyces, uh, which amuses me intensely because if he had been allowed to publish, then we might be talking about Hibernomyces. Yeah. Oh, not- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful. But again, I mean, you know, you, you probably know that um, another uh, Guinness scientist did a huge amount of work on uh, statistical analysis. Um. And he was allowed to publish uh, his results, and he, he famous in uh, the world of statistics. They, but they wouldn't let him publish under his own name because they didn't want people to realise that it was a Guinness guy that was doing this, and therefore that Guinness um, were using this kind of statistical analysis uh, of their brewing. So, they, hmm. so they made him publish under the name Student, and so Student's <laughs> t-test is now something that every Statistician learns about. Um, and it was only again after the guy died, but certainly a long time after he had published it. So they finally uh, uh, revealed what his name was and that he'd been working for Guinness, but Guinness oh. just wouldn't let him. They're so see-
0: like They don't tell, Guinness won't, won't tell you anything. Important.
4: I went around, uh, I was showing around, I was very lucky um, a few years back to get a first look around the new Guinness number four. Oh uh, wow. They've just built uh on the north side of uh the, the street uh to um let them now brew everything uh in the one place. And it was just before it officially opened, I think, uh and they led a party of uh beer bloggers around, which I of which I was one, and they were saying, No pictures, no pictures. Yeah. <laughs> and I was standing <laughs> there the camera
0: going
4: no 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 pictures <laughs> well it's so cool that they
0: let you see it because they yeah, don't tell true. you anything
4: no so. and, uh, and, uh, but, uh, I got some amazing shots considering I was literally shooting from the hip
0: oh <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell anyone no well now you, you're just <laughs> well <yourself>. yeah <laughs> you'll never get
1: invited to a Guinness Brewery again <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's how secretive they were you know they did Fantastic! A uh, beautiful, beautiful looking. If you're into shiny, and I'm into shiny, beautiful <laughs> shiny, shiny large amounts of shiny metal. It's beautiful looking uh, brewery interior with there's enormous uh, mash tuns and and coppers. You know that you could you could lose most craft breweries inside one of these mash tunns. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no, no, we can't take pictures. Oh, what the hell, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've
0: seen one mash ton, you've seen them all, but yeah. that's Guinness for you, so. Yeah,
4: well, I'm afraid so. Don't yeah. Very well,
0: before wow. we finish, is there anything you'd like to talk about? Is there anything you're working on right now? Any projects that you're working on? I uh, heard maybe a new book?
4: Yeah, well, I've just finished, finally, after a long, long time, um, The World History of uh, Porter and Stout. Uh, I was commissioned to do that by an American uh, academic publisher. Uh,
2: that's
4: awesome they said uh how long do you think it would take and i just i just written something for um i don't know if you've come across from uh national geographic i have this whole series of of uh joke beer and geography um and i just finished a thing on uh the 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 way that porter and stout started off as a very local beer in london and very rapidly became the first beer to be brewed literally around the world and to mm-hmm. find a market literally around the world. So I said, oh, I'll do, I'll expand that into a book. And they said, oh yeah, great. How much, how many words do you think it will be and how long do you think it will take? And stupidly, I said, oh, it will be, I don't know, 80,000 words, you know, sort of normal book length. And uh, I shouldn't take more than about six months. And so five years later <laughs> I reached four hundred thousand words and I thought, oh, oh my goodness. goodness. <laughs> I know, I know. It's crazy. I did it, but there was just such an amazing amount of material out there. Mm-hmm. And as I said, this is the great thing about doing any kind of research today, uh, is that so many um newspapers and books have been scanned uh that it is very easy to find huge amounts of of material you know and um you know, the whole there's this so much stuff that you can uncover um about breweries around the world and what they were up to in terms of um brewing porters and stouts and so on uh, yeah. so i've i have cut it back now it's now only 300,000 oh. <laughs> uh, words everything is now with the i said to them look guys i've i've cut i've cut this by 25% I just cannot do any more are you is that okay or am I actually gonna to have to pay someone else to cut it because I can't cope and I said <laughs> no no that's we've read it it's we really like it it's fine so I just thank god for that so uh, that's now with the publisher and uh hopefully uh, it will be out you know late this year or, or early next year and I have to say there's some there's though I'm saying it myself there's a lot of great stuff in there that's
0: awesome. It, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Wonderful.
4: You know, I looking think forward to that now, this 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 beer style um dominated Britain for a long time it was I mean it was for 100 years it was the most popular beer in Britain and then vanished in Britain but carried on elsewhere. I you know it was it was pretty big in the states for a long time particularly and uh, and this I found fascinating. Um in uh the northeast in new england and most especially in um pennsylvania. um pennsylvania oh yeah is a huge market for uh porters hmm. that sounds
1: uh, like a future Tom
4: episode
0: what, i don't know i do <laughs> um, that's that's where george washington he went to philadelphia to buy his porter yeah,
4: yeah. um you know that's where and that post uh prohibition you know something oh. like uh A third of all of all porters, uh, Porter came back, not in a big way, um, but it had been 18, 13 years since anybody had drunk it. So most, most, many Porter brewers died and all the young drinkers that were now drinking illegally for the first time didn't know what the hell this strange, roasty black stuff was. But it was still a a reasonable market for Porter post-prohibition. And the biggest market, again, was um, in Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah. Yingling uh, Porter is one of, I mean, we yeah, don't get well, Yingling uh, Porter in Connecticut, but yeah, Yingling Porter is huge, still huge in Pennsylvania.
4: Yeah. 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 Uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, Porter, you can't see me doing my, my air quotes thing here. <laughs> uh, by then, of course, that was, Yingling's, um was uh pretty much uh, colored with caramel. Yeah. That's and- not
0: a real point. It's a, what uh what's that called it's a pre-prohibition style porter because it's just yeah, essentially yeah, yeah it's
4: uh, not a... i mean that's why uh fritz maytag when he uh decided he was going to brew a porter in oh. 72 74 i can't remember uh you know he he liked to boast that he was brewing the the, the only genuine porter <laughs> in <laughs> porter.
0: i do like anchor porter it is delicious so any uh yeah
4: I don't know if you know this one. It's actually, I was told it uh before the uh book on Anchor's history came out. I don't know if you guys have seen that one yet, the yep. mm-hmm. History book. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lovely, lovely production values in that gorgeous looking book. Um and I, if you've read it, there's a great story in there where uh Fritz has to track down because no no brewery in America was using roasted malt. Uh, because nobody was making genuine porters or anything like that. So he tracked down the one supplier of roasted malt who was doing it for the baking industry. And huh. uh, so he orders a number of sacks of this roasted malt to make his new porter with. And the sacks arrive, and they cut them open. And Fritz's first thought was, oh, no, they've sent me coffee <laughs> because of the coffee aromas that you get off roast malt.
0: okay. Sure.
4: <laughs> so that was that then he really realized that no they hadn't really sent him coffee and as you say yeah made a, made a great beer great um, porter yeah yeah still still a very very tasty beer today.
0: there's a lot of great porters in america but that's for another show we'll talk about porter next yeah. time
4: yeah uh yes yeah. I, I was in uh I, I was over uh in october for the uh through the ages uh, and I did have some very nice porters, but I was also, uh, trying as many, um, English bitters, American brewed English bitters as I could. And I have to say, you've got a way to go yet before you, before you get that one. <laughs> <right>. That's,
0: <laughs> that's, that's, fa- that's fair. Good. That's I'd fair. I'm surprised
4: we had, it clearly, clearly was difficult to get, to get an English bitter right in our know, drink beer, I drink. All the time, obviously, one of my one of my favorite styles. um But I didn't find one that really made me think, yeah, you could you could get away with presenting this in your average English pub as an English bitter. However, uh, you know, keep trying.
0: <laughs> All right, we will. I'll try. I'll like let, let come go. back in ten years and let me know, and we'll go have a pint together, and you can tell me because I'm, yeah, I, I I I tend to agree with it. We have some really great. The English styles in America are really growing in popularity. The English, I mean, English barley wines are really popular. Dark milds are having a moment, so I think that maybe in a few years we'll get, we'll get there. I have a feeling we'll get there.
4: Well, I'm delighted to see dark mild uh growing, you know, it's a, it's a style um that almost vanished in the UK. And now, when you when people brew a dark mild, you, know, you, you may not this. my brother actually runs a small brewery. Oh, I did not
0: um, know that,
4: and uh, we Got together and decided to brew a dark mild um, in in memory of our uncle who was a huge dark mild fan. But we, we, I'm afraid, we we chickened out and we were so worried that people wouldn't drink a beer called a dark mild that we just called it a dark ale. Yes. Fortunately, it went very well. People seemed to like it, but uh, for so long in Britain, it really was the old man's drink,
1: mm.
4: and. Uh, I think that now people have actually maybe forgotten that it was the old man's drink and now they're prepared to try it on its own merits. And yeah, it's a lovely beer. When when you get a, a dark mild right, it's a terrific beer.
0: Mm. They're delicious. They're so good. I'm a big dark mild. Don, are you a big dark mild guy? I am. Your well big be- you're a big I'm beer a, guy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Martin, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, if people want to follow you or look at your website or get a copy of your book, do you um, can you give us all your information so people can look you up?
4: Yeah, sure. Um, unfortunately, uh, the, the, when the new book comes out, that will be down uh, and available. But at the moment, I think all my books are out of print. But uh, you can follow me on my website and I will give you the details for that so you can let people know about it.
0: Oh, sure, I can do that. Yep. Um put it in wonderful. The show notes. I will put it in the I'll put it in the bio before we talk. Um and yeah, so thank you so much thank for you, all Margin. your yeah. This is a you every time that yes. you talk about beer, it's just I want you to keep talking about beer because you've you're a wealth of knowledge and I really appreciate that. Um Archadult. so much. I know we should Are just we should we should just start our own podcast where it's just Martin and and we just let you go for like Tw- an hour,
1: twenty four hour Martin. <laughs> yeah,
4: uh, I, just, I think an hour of Martin is more than enough, really. Honestly, no,
0: awesome. I thank well, you. Well, thank for having you.
4: Me. I, I always enjoy talking about beer, as you've noticed. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's always a delight to have a, an an appreciative audience.
0: Of course, of course. Well, we're very <laughs> thankful for your time and um, cheers. Thanks for coming on.
1: Cheers Martin. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: We'll continue our show with Alex Kidd of Don't Drink Beer. But first, a word from our sponsors.
3: Estrella Galicia is an independent family owned brewery in northwest Spain founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world class lager brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops and the best brewing practices made out of the state of the art facility in Acaruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Astra Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Astra Galicia, follow them at Astrea Galicia USA on Instagram.
2: All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts.
0: Creator of DontDrinkBeer.com and the podcast Malt Couture, Alex Kidd has been a comedic voice in the beer community for over a decade. Providing everything from criticism to levity and everything in between, Alex provides an insightful perspective on the dark underbelly of the craft beer world. Welcome to the show, Alex.
5: Hey, how you doing, Em?
0: I am I'm am well. I'm well, it's good to talk to you. I, I don't actually think we've, have we, we've never met, like.
5: We have not. Uh, we were, we were co-competitors for a Savor Award, but. And uh, I won. <laughs> you did. You did and, win. <laughs> and you recently outpaced me in Instagram followers. So 2023 oh, is just coming oh. up M. Oh, all right. Just crushing it. Pints and panels. <laughs> Look at this.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah um hopefully this is a sustaining thing but you are also very well known in the beer sphere and um we wanted to we had brought uh, don and i brought you on to talk to you about barley wine because like you're kind of the barley wine guy yeah that's fair enough to say
5: i think so um or or at least uh i am a the figurehead of a bunch of people who love barley wine. So I, I get credit for a lot of the shenanigans that they get into. But uh yeah, I do love barley wine. And uh, I'd say I've been around long enough to kind of see its change over the past decade.
0: So like, how, how has barley wine changed for you? Are you excited about its progress? Are you like, what the hell are they doing with, you know, like there's, I mean, with the... They're ruining adjunct- it. Yeah. 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 Shakes fist angrily. Like, are you excited about its its evolution? Are you scared? Are you what? How are you? How are you feeling right now?
5: I think that I first of all, I'm excited. I think it's finally becoming a viable uh, alternative to stouts as a platform for appreciation from everything from anniversary bottles, special releases, uh, and expressions for, you know, the rare limited casks that usually like automatically are earmarked for stouts because stouts are so popular. Um, so that's cool. And I think after, you know, a decade of, of trying to shake off its, its bad roots, it finally doesn't automatically wear its American barley wine, basically a triple IPA, uh, sort of, you know, public reputation that Bigfoot and Old Numbskull and maybe some of the other old horizontal esh type of beers imparted upon it. People now see, hey, this can be barrel This can be all all kinds of things. It's not just this one type of barley wine.
0: Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, there's. I mean, that's the. That's the thing about barley wines. That's so great. I feel like I say that every time we because I'm always like the positive <laughs> beer person. That's like, that's, uh-huh. what, that's what that's great about that. Um, I hate everything. <laughs> and Don hates everything. And this is why we're a good team. Um, Perfect. I I really like how, yeah, I love Bigfoot. You put that sucker in the basement and then you're like, okay, I'll see you in like two years. Um, and then I really like American Barley, like, is it straight jackets in American Barley wine yet? Like that from revolution? Uh, no, that's
5: straight jacket is, is like pretty quintessentially English. Uh, I thought oh. it
0: was labeled American Barley wine. Oh, that's so embarrassing. We'll uh, no, that Don't tell Doug. We'll <laughs> um,
5: uh, no, but you do kind of raise a, an interesting point because due to, uh, casking and barrel aging being kind of the de facto treatment for a lot of big beers, um, A lot of places are figuring out hey, if we start with this alpha acid, but more importantly, beta acid rich barley wine, and we toss it into barrels, it can hold up for 18, 24, 36 months. Suddenly, like the barrel is like this chamber that changes like Urkel to Stefan. And like you have these amazing, (laughs) previously American barley wines that come out with all kinds of creme brulee and toffee from the barrel character. And so it's like, like American barley wines are suddenly getting this makeover uh, mm-hmm. that people are appreciating.
0: Don, I know you want to ask about beta acids.
5: I, I do.
0: I so knew. When you said beta acids, I was like, oh my gosh, Don just shuddered. I did. Got really excited and now wants to ask you about that.
5: Why, particularly beta acids? Uh, beta acids have a capacity for uh basically making the beer itself uh more repellent to oxidation and oh. the the actual the preservative qualities when you think of alpha acids you think of all of like the big bold assertive resinous uh right. add it to the boil type of things but um the beta acids are often overlooked and they make barley wines bulletproof like even not barrel aged ones like the famously the bigfoot line uh east end's gratitude um they make barley wine the the vertical of choice like whenever somebody's going to be making their holiday beer or their anniversary beer they always go with this and a lot of times it's because the backbone of what they're creating has a ton of malt so then they'll balance it out with a ton of hops and inadvertently you'll get these these uh beers that really stand up to the test of time and oxidation
1: um this might be uh, i'm a little bit off topic but um i've have heard that aged hop first of all as as hops age more beta acid comes out and alpha right. goes down um, right. and then I've heard that aged hops using aged hops in an IPA so not in a barley wine but in an IPA can actually result in more tropical type flavors so really? might these high beta acid barley wines as they age and oxidize uh might that contribute tropical type flavors to barley wine question mark
5: mm. <laughs> it's interesting um i i don't know uh don't know if either. because well because we're talking about two different things you're talking about uh using aged hops to a fresh beer can contribute right. like uh some of the some of those characters of like bright vibrant fruits which i feel like that would be on the back end in the dry hopping which is where a lot of that would probably come from um whereas what i was talking about is like actually aged beta acids inside the beer like as a function of existing in it um it really knocks out those like paper and cardboard type of notes um or it creates like this weird almost like port uh sherry sherry. madeira type of thing that like in a weird way, you can't really replicate, except for time, and so you'll you'll pop some of these old barley wines, and you'll go. There's no addition besides just sheer closet linen closet time that makes it taste like this. Uh, so it's it, it kind of cuts both ways. Yeah, like okay. some sometimes the hops uh, work against it, sometimes it really helps it.
0: When you get barley wines sent to you, do you hold on to them for a long period? Do you have like a sweet spot where you're like, okay, see ya in sometime, say months? Or are you just like, I'm down, I'm down to drink? Because, I mean, brewer, breweries, when things get released, they want you to drink it. But sometimes, I don't know, I think a little, barley wine proves a little age is always, is never, you know, sometimes can be a good thing.
5: Yeah. I, and I think, first of all, I have, usually have a backlog of bottles or things that I like. I want to address this and I want to talk about this. And I'll use them as a platform to talk about what's going on in the brewing world. So if something's going to get bumped straight up the charts, it's because there's something significant happening, either in the zeitgeist or on trade boards or something. So, uh, barley ones usually won't go to number one with a bullet because there's no exigency for I'm like oh I gotta get the tasty notes on this because they're gonna taste pretty much the same six months later um whereas if something is like a coffee stout or you know obviously like a hazy IPA you gotta gotta get yes. those locked in early um, in terms of preference uh versus different types of barley wines there's certain people that I know really rely heavily on cask profiles and I want the most vibrant reper presentation of those. Um, For example, Goose Island sent me their two year old Fitzgerald, their uh, Bourbon County barley wine reserve. I opened that like the day I got it because that's why you're having that beer is like this vibrant, like expressive, super expensive cask. Um, and then there's other ones where it's like uh, I know that they're made for the long haul. I know that something like Side Project uh, Anabasis can be can just take a beating and can sit down for six months. Even even if Corey King is like, "Oh, drink it right now," I know you're like, I know "No, that's <laughs> so right, indestructible." Corey. Yeah.
1: Are you able to like let's say you get you know multiple cans or bottles of of one and you you crack one fresh? Are you able to taste it and go, you know, I think this needs seven months or whatever it is.
5: Yeah. I hate being like that fusel mouth or someone who has like kind of a baby palate, because essentially I feel like I'm telling the brewers like, Oh, you, you released this too early, which is almost (laughs) always wrong. Almost always wrong. Uh, But there are certain beers that I would say are just like poorly integrated that are like really spicy out of the gates and hot, Mm. or they lack like a, a multi backbone to reinforce uh the abv that's being presented and those those ones i will be like oh if i have another one i will i'll sit on it for a while or i'll know like that's that's not quite ready i'd say that maybe happens 10 percent of the time um because also like you know like i my artistry comes from like the presentation of what the the creator's intent is i'm i'm supposed to be reflective of what they want to put out into the world and so um I feel like I'm doing a disservice if I'm trying to remedy the things that like that they're putting out. And then I, then my review has like a glaring asterisk, you know? Um, so (laughs) for review purposes, no, for my own consumption, yes. Okay. And do you find, I'm sorry. No,
0: no, no. Go ahead. I I just
1: wanted to ask because you mentioned uh, earlier on that uh, oxygen is, you know, one of the things that will change barley wine. Are you finding like, do cans and bottles behave differently?
5: Um, it's interesting because you're seeing a lot of places pivot away from bottles. Famously, uh, barley wine used to be like live and breathe in the 22 ounce bomber format. And, um, people started realizing like, Hey, bottles don't work great for this, like high ABV monster. And you're seeing smaller and smaller formats, which lends itself to cans, four packs, things of that nature. Um, I don't really really notice a difference between like, and I've, I've had old, now they're old. I've had old cans of uh, East End Gratitude. I've had the paper wrapped bottles, which you would think those would be the most ridiculous, like paper wrapped around green glass. Um, and really, it just temperature is king. Um, oh, I, I like I, I don't think uh, especially with barley wine, like they don't really don't suffer in can format because it's not like like we've seen this recent uh like jump to like you have like fin Dumont in cans now and i'm like oh yeah be you a, do like that's and that's cool <laughs> i love the idea of you're out kayaking drinking a triple but like i want like a three volume i want it heavily carbonated i want that crackle And I feel like some of these, some of these big beers that like particularly ultra Belgian in their roots, they don't do well in cans because of the carbonation limitations. Whereas barley wine, you can, you can package that thing at two volumes. You could go the coon hen and hair of the dog route and have almost no carb. And people will be like, this is great. They don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be like, this is fine. It's a sipper anyway. Um, So that's another reason that barley wine really lends itself to that format because people don't like. If In fact, if I pour a barley wine out and it's 15% and I get some huge effervescent cap with sustain, I'm like, there's petty on this. This is like infected. It's like my first, like if if it has a huge, like massive frothy head, I'm like that, that has to be re-fermentation or something because that's not how it usually goes. Right.
0: Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to spark. Although actually Harvey's just didn't they just um put out i saw it today on on i think on instagram a sparkling elizabethan
5: in a green in
0: a in a green bottle oh wow i think you need i think you need to get uh, a hold of that because and it was like decorated like champagne like it had like a it was i was like tell me more because that's just (laughs) that's that's that's, yeah Uh, and they were like sparkling barley wine i was like but i mean their old ales three percent so i don't know how i think Elizabethan's only like seven um yeah but uh but yeah i mean that's no i want i'd like i like a 12 ounce i worry about the can lining and like right, the low right. like the low ph of of beer that's my only concern with cans of of um, of, of, like, aging, of yeah in terms yeah. of aging because i worry about the like the plastic lining of the can that's all I,
5: that's valid. I, I think yeah. that that's that's been always been people's like uh fear from the get-go is like you know, mm-hmm. even remember like twelve years ago when Hedy Topper starts rolling out their like, BPAAs. I'm not, not my fresh pops <laughs> inside of aluminum. Like and people would swear by it, like I can taste aluminum, like like all the psychological Oh people's oh, people still
0: like I'm like just I'm like then well. dump it into a glass. I mean, like I mean obviously. But yeah, no, the generational gap between cans and bottles is or state to state, certain states oh. buy way more cans than bottles and certain states will only buy. It gets wild how
5: like, well, things cl- I, closer to your hood. I just recently re-reviewed uh, Maine Beer Company's Dinner, which I love. Yes. I think that is a masterpiece really of the style. Um, and. Now it's like uh, the millennials are clapping back and they're like mad at main beer company. They're like, why, why are they so stubborn with these 500 milliliter glass? What an outdated, stupid format. And like Vinny and (laughs) Vinny's like probably like looking over at them. Like this has always been like the double IPA like format that hasn't changed. And so it's weird. You're getting reverse you're getting reverse now. Now there's so many people on board with cans. You're almost looked at as like backwards if you and are. You only, yeah. Yeah.
0: A bottle yeah. of double IP, you know, like it's <laughs> yeah. a little noodle scratch. Whereas I remember how the hell the first, am I supposed to open this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's called a bottle opener. It should be on your keychain. I don't know. Don't worry about it. I remember seeing Dale's Pale Ale for the first time in a store window in Boston. And I laughed out loud and was like, the hell is that? because yeah. that boggled my mind and that was yeah. in 2007 totally so it's so crazy how beer is just like constantly like we're we're driving we're all driving down the highway together at like 90 miles an hour like oh, and yeah. things are just changing so quickly you know like did you foresee when you started drinking that like you were going to be the barley wine guy you know like no, I mean, I love in,
5: wine, the la- like. in the late 2000s and particularly the early 2010s. I was like the say, I was the Saison guy, I was like huh? the Phantom <laughs> appreciator. Everyone oh. knew me for having ticked all the rarest Phantomes, and I loved barely Saisons. Um, and then, first of all, the barley wine culture changed, and then uh, the barrel Saison culture changed to be these highly acetic wild ales. Every Saison yeah. instantly became like an air quotes, oh, so this is a sour? And like <sighs> no, like it, it really kind of altered both. So because one got worse and one got much better, I was like, you know, just by default, I started leaning into it and, you know. Palettes yeah,
0: change. Can you
1: expand on that? Like you did sort of touch on it earlier, but like in what ways has barley wines changed for the better as, as you say,
5: since the year 2010, we've seen uh, like uh, a reorganization of what, barley wine could be um like particularly with the release of king henry in 2011 from goose island which was in third use like stout barrels so people were like i see this like missing link they could draw them closer to those chocolate notes that they're more familiar with um and then you've got like all of these massive releases in the mid uh 2010s that outshone even some of the craziest like big stout releases and people started like taking note and saying like wait 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 that you know, people are giving up this much for you know, a bottle of whatever, whatever it is, Aaron or Deal with the Devil is probably one of like the most I was uh, gonna fam- ask you about Deal yeah. with the Devil, because that's the, fam- the like, famous yeah. lines. Yeah.
0: Cause like, uh, I mean, yeah, Anchorage. I've I've only had Anchorage. I bought it at a Safeway in Anch- in Anchorage for like six dollars, but it wasn't Deal with the Devil, it was like the bitter monk. And then all of a sudden I was like wait a minute. Why is there, why is that beer? So like, why does that have hype around it? Why are these barley wines starting to be like, you know, like hu- secretly like going through trade things on, they don't, it's not on eBay anymore. I don't trade and I'm an old lady. So I, I this is totally new territory for me. Um, yeah. But how, like, why did barley, I mean, I guess you were starting to talk about it and then I interrupted you to talk about Safeway. Yeah. So I, th- <laughs> I think that
5: um, you started seeing a lot of these like, Uh, you know air quotes whales for their time be representative of the style and do the style really well at the same time um it was very hard to find comparable analogs uh that you could in the same way you could with stouts and so like people were seeing these and giving up big bottles for them and realizing like actually i like this and in addition to that all of the entry level canon became more and more available like the the Sukabas and the Straightjackets, Sibago uh, barley wine is one that like I love to recommend to people. Those those are still sitting around, and so if you wanted to start liking barley wine, you could be pretty much in the middle to top of the pack with very little effort. And if you wanted to like stretch a little bit, like you could get something that was very comparable to the top tier stuff. Uh, it's a very welcoming accessible genre if you seek it out if you're if your palate is already inclining you to try and go after that then like it's it's there's not as much gatekeeping once you're are once you're there if that makes sense
0: hmm. yeah well they they also sit on the shelves really you know like you can find barley wine on the shelf and be like you don't have to look at a bottling date or a canning right. date you just you know that it's it's if even have an age on it like that's my favorite part about going to like visit other places and you're like, oh, I can buy that and not worry that it's gonna be terrible or you know, oxidized or you know, other things like that. So or it is, in
5: a weird yeah. in a weird way because there is so much uh customer aversion to things they don't want higher alcohol or like things they're not familiar with you might get bottles that have that have sat and like you'll get a bonus like little like yeah. they the store aged it for you for three years <laughs> yeah. and, and you end up paying less than like retail like uh like those uh Zow bottles from uh balladin like those will sit on the shelf because nobody's gonna okay. like on a whim pay 45 Fifty bucks for a five hundred a milliliter of like Italian barley wine, but those are indestructible and get better with time. Mm. So, like sometimes you, you catch a windfall, um or for for example, pretty things they close down every once in a while. You'll find arguably the best non-barrel aged English barley wine that America's ever produced. um Our finest regards still on the shelf. <laughs> you know, like, I
0: did. But- I drank. I drank in our finest regards at Sovereign in D.C. In like 28, 28 like oh, wow. a couple years after they closed, and the yeah. beer manager came by and was like, "Can I have some?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, sure." And do you know they make our finest regards now at Smod? Their beer, uh, yeah. This was gonna,
5: I was going to say, it, I have not had the Shetfield version, um but I saw is, that they got they got a trading yeah. card. They were one. Were they one of the garbage pail kids? Oh, or they were oh, something maybe? else. Uh, it's in a
0: sixteen ounce can now.
5: Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of plays into exactly what you were just talking yep. about.
0: It's very good. They gave me a can of it and I had it. <laughs> um I held on to it for about 7 months and then drank it when I uh, like last winter and it was yeah. very very nice. We still there's a bottle of I think there's a bottle of our finest regards uh in the Fox Farm uh walk-in. I think there's a couple left.
5: Oh my god. Yeah. That is, I think it's so just... bonkers. <laughs> it's... Uh well, I mean, that's that's another perfect example. So Fox Farm, uh, their Copestone series has been very well received, Um, but it, it's by the same token, it's received by enthusiasts. Hasn't hit the trade market to be in this upwards of $150, $200 realm. And Fox Farm, like they clearly have the capacity to have put that in 16 ounce, but they're like, no, 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 we're going to do it this way. Like it's it encapsulates everything we were just talking about from both the marketing palette and accessibility perspective
0: you can buy uh Copestone takes 3 months 2 to 3 months to sell through and we don't yeah. make that much of it so it's yeah. it's pretty like you know it's not whereas witch meadow which is our uh, for people who don't know I work part time at Fox Farm so I'm not when I say we I mean not um we as in I work there
5: um
0: yeah our our imperial stout will sell out in a day
5: oh yeah it's the witch it, meadow it,
0: it, so <laughs>
5: It blows my mind. Um, And also another interesting thing about barley wines in particular is you will have these breweries that are fair to middling. This is not the case with Fox Farm, but you'll have fair to middling. And then they will make like a God tier example of just barley wine. And it's inexplicable. Like everything else in their catalog will be fine. Like <laughs> yeah. they won't be a bad brewery, but like they they will make their barley wine. You could tell is like their passion project. Um, I alluded to them earlier, but like East End Gratitude, I don't think the rest of their catalog is remarkable at all. But like every year, they put out one of the most mind blowing style examples. Uh, and there's a ton of examples of this, like Pelican Brewing in Oregon. Like, oh, yes, I don't, I, I don't know that anyone like loves. Uh, like the the rest of their canon they're good but the mother of all storms is arguably one of the best barley wines you can buy in 500 milliliter glass easy to purchase and like it, it just it, so it is the top top tier style so what is top tier like what is what
1: are you looking for that makes it top tier
5: well i i it's tough to say because like there is no one approach right. um I think that having a degree of originality so that we all don't fall into this cookie cutter, hazy IPA realm where everyone is looking over everyone's shoulder and copying their scantrons. Okay. Dials. Um, yeah, more exactly. more
0: mosaic, more citrus.
5: Yeah. Like, I think that there's this degree of intentionality and like the brewer's like fingerprints on it is really yeah, what makes okay. something special. Um, now, if that means that this thing is like a dialed back, like muted, I like barley wine that that you know hits strikes that nice like ten percent zone, um, or something that is just an absolute monster that is tough to wrangle, but that you let open up, and um, it it really just comes down to like what did they seek to accomplish and how well did they hit those marks like okay. through their barrel aging and the base beer itself. So,
1: so you're looking for the creation and method of creation as much as the final result.
5: Yeah, I think that. I think that that there's very few instances where you have uh, mediocre barley wine and then one vintage will just crush. Uh, It's usually a culmination of both their cast game program and the people who make it, they're making like – you know, they're they're making Goldens and boring like shift beers 70% of the time. So it's like one time out of the year they get to make this and then uh-huh. nine months later they get to release it in November. So it's like something that I feel like on the production side, the people care more in a way that like the the, the wit beer that's going into cans in 19 days, they're like we don't care about this. Like we're making the same soup all the time. Yeah, right. It's like a uh, birthing
0: project. You know, you've got nine months, mu- you know, you're you yeah, know, you you brew it, you put it in the barrel, or you'll put it in steel, and you just kind of let it go, and you sample it, and you watch it. And there's gonna be some blending. I mean, there's a lot of like things that you can do as a brewer to make sure that that beer is bottle condition. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. the the, the barrel character. What are you putting in? Is there barrel character? I mean, the higher ABV can. I mean, that's there's a lot of yeah, a lot of stuff that goes into barley. I mean, yeah, it's not a style that I like gravitate towards unless it's snowing
5: Uh, or
0: like or it's a special occasion like you've got one of those like let's say like 750 milliliter fremonts and you've got like four people over after dinner and you're like okay everyone's having some or like after thanksgiving that's a great like bar it's a great sharing party friendly beer
5: absolutely um and i think that like with the way that covid like came upon everyone that like they, they lost a lot of those opportunities and you really made you focus in on the social capacity uh, of beer and how important that is. And like the barley wines have been back in a huge way. Like all these, all these breweries that were holding them back or weren't able to make them or probably didn't see much profitability in them. um, Now that things are opening back up a little bit, like you're really seeing this social component come back and you know, responsible or irresponsible. Like the Dark Lord Day is back in person, and people <laughs> are embracing it, and it's it is cool because, yeah, like you alluded to, you're not going to sit down and have a fifteen percent, like seven fifty to yourself on like a Tuesday. Well, I don't, I don't know. I, don't I, know what I would, like. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
0: yeah. Know. Don uh, would, but you know, we're not I, old Don. <laughs> I don't have
5: friends, so uh...
0: you have friends. Stop it. You have me. Uh... <laughs>
5: But, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's very much the case, like uh, the sharing, the saving, the savoring, and then it becomes like an event in itself when you finally decide to open it. Uh,
1: you touched upon, you mentioned temperature as being very, very important for um, storage of barley wines. What temperature?
5: Uh, I would, you know, there's there's always like the classic, like, uh, like wine locker, like people, okay. people have the split zone and they'll put it at 43. I, I think keeping them cold and just having them, uh, relax for a while is fantastic, which is ironic because the serving temp on barley wines, I think is far closer to like high fifties, uh, or even, you know, if you get those private press bottles that really lean hard onto Oak and blending, you could even go like 60, 61 degrees. So it's like, Whatever you're storing it at is not the same temperature that barley wine, uh, like really thrives in when you finally serve it. Okay. So it is kind of duplicitous. But, uh, again, it is such a hearty, uh, like indestructible style. You could probably keep a barley wine at room temp for like six months and it's not gonna, it's not gonna turn into tissue paper like <laughs> overnight. Yeah. Great. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah.
0: Uh, anything else, John?
5: No, that was
1: my, uh, That was my practical advice that I needed to. uh, Oh, okay. So that I don't, (laughs) you know, drink all my barley wine. All
0: I usually take them out uh, an hour before I drink them.
5: Yeah, yeah, I I think that's a good. Well, let me ask you this. So, one thing we've been seeing a lot, you know, speaking of Brad Clark at Private Press, is this fascination, particularly with barley wines and decanting. Have you ever uh, messed around with decanting a barley wine? I have not. Um, Yeah.
0: I normally just pull it out of like, you know, my husband and I share a can or a bottle and I just put it in two glasses or I'll let it sit on the, I usually, I have never opened it and let it sit out opened for an hour. What would that do? Are you just like, I like, would it do the same thing? Like, Like, I've, I've never decanted a beer before. Don, have you ever decanted a beer?
1: Not that I can think
5: of. No.
0: Yeah. All right. Why, why would, why would I do that?
5: It's counterintuitive because you're like, you're going to degas it. You're going to let it raise up to room temp. You're going to let it get like lightly oxygenated. Like all those things like don't seem like a great idea, but uh, you know, if you really want to enhance like a lot of those like cask notes and you really want to get to like the prune and the fig and a lot of like that dark fruit uh by letting it get raised in temperature naturally and get a little bit of oxygen in there yes you're going to sacrifice the carbonation which really isn't like the star of the show in the first place but mm-hmm. you can get to this awesome sort of like pruny um like just just open it up in the way that like adding a tiniest splash of water to cask strength bourbon will kind of be able to pull apart the seams. Mm. And, uh, it's something that, you know, people have been recently experimenting with and I'm all for it. I've done it a few times. It takes a little bit of preparation and stuff, but, uh, let it, let it open up for about an hour and it's, is fantastic. Do you we, pour
0: it into like a pitcher or you like a decant, like what you would do with wine or you just open it and let it sit out? What would be the best I practice? Actually, I
5: own uh, a private press decanter. They made it for oh. members. So, oh, so I have a, a decanter with a cradle, but you can do it any way you want. You could do it your way. Like I, honestly pouring it in a glass and letting it sit. Um, Maybe yeah, just like no with a little I'm bit of agitation.
0: Don Don's going to, I'm going to try um, that. I've got I'm gonna some try straight, yeah. I've got some I, straight I, jacket. I've got some, I have a, oh gosh, I have a, Oh, six St. Arnold barley wine that someone sent me in exchange for a bunch of like, I live in a town with a very large Polish population. So a bunch of like Polish food.
5: Hell yeah. (laughs)
0: Alex,
1: (laughs) I I wanted to ask about the, about the decanting. Do you, would you say you prefer it or just that it's different?
5: I'd say it's different. It's not something Mm. that I'm like, um, oh, I I have to do it or I need to do it. Um, More like if I, if I think that a beer has some complexity or it could be, could benefit from like enjoying it in a different way like if you have two bottles like try decanting one and then you know try it later on uh try it just normal um mm-hmm. because for all of like me like talking about the virtues of like not not subverting whatever the brewer is trying to present to you like you can right. you can you can play <laughs> around with some stuff like right. don't don't be like my youtube videos like putting them through cheeseburgers but like you can do with the within, within no, reason. No, sc-
0: no sky pours
5: yeah, sky. I mean, sky <laughs> basically is a is a aesthetic decanting. decanting. Yeah, <laughs> that's
0: true. Yeah, that, yeah. i have that's cool. something that I definitely want to try. I've never even thought about that, but I like I like the idea of it, and I think that that could really raise the barrel character. I like that a lot. I'm gonna well, try it not I'm tonight because I'm
5: yeah
0: tomorrow night, and well, I'll have, let everyone know. We have
5: know. Tree Fontanen to to blame for this like obsession with the. Uh, uh, decanting because when the first blend of Zene came out uh, it was aged in sherry barrels and so everyone was like oh sherry we got to get this oxidized then like did the exact same thing like mm. then that became the new hotness was decanting your uh Zene so I there's think so, it comes from yeah. that
0: <laughs> interesting there's so many things that like I think I know a lot about beer not to sound like a jerk um but man do I not <laughs>
2: There's <laughs> well, always, or
0: there's always something new to learn, really. Like that's the fun thing about beer is the yeah like, I've learned I've learned something new today. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. Yep. So uh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um before we go, uh Don, is there anything else you would like no, to No, this add?
1: was awesome. I, I yeah loved that. No, yeah.
0: I'm now I want to bar. it's four thirty-six right now where I live. That is not barley wine time. Um <laughs> well, I mean any time can be barley wine time, but it needs
5: more snow.
0: Yeah, well, it's like 60 degrees here in New England, which we didn't really get a winter, which stinks. Um, Don ha- probably has more snow. Well, he lives in Calgary, so he has.
1: We have uh, uh boat. I'm snow. looking out my window. There's about two feet of snow.
0: There you go. Oh, wow. Um, but before we go, where can people learn about um your website your podcast your patreon all sorts of like what do you yeah. like, anything do you want to plug
5: yeah plug I'll do, I'll do the plugs all right um so you can find my main website at don't drink beer.com. that's gonna be all of like the longer form reviews uh you can follow me on instagram at don't drink beers with an s and uh, that's gonna be a little smattering of everything you're gonna get previews for some of my patreon content um patreon.com slash don't drink beer that is my patreon where we do everything from like video interviews to speed running like video games and like uh basically all the content that i like dream to make like there's hours and hours hundreds of hours of content there um and uh finally if you're a real twitter person you can get like the absolute distilled version of me just that don't drink beer on twitter but i'm least active there
0: cool awesome well, awesome. thank This was, yeah, it was really nice to talk to you about barley wine. And let's, we should, whenever I, you're in the same place I am, I would like to drink and decant some barley wine with you. I think that would let's be- Let's do it. I don't, yeah, I don't know when that'll be, but that sounds like a lot of fun. So.
5: <laughs> Perfect. Let's like make it happen. Fun. Cool. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Bye guys. Cheers, right. Alex.
0: Thanks. So John, that was a lot. We learned a lot about barley wine.
1: Yes. <laughs> and, and, and a few extra things. I mean, you know, oh we, my got, gosh, sure. we got off topic a little bit, but I mean, I just love this stuff so much.
0: I know beer history is so much fun. And the fact that the, like, the barley wine has so much to offer, uh, it makes me really want one right now, but it, it's a little early for me um, to have one. Uh, and it's just it's it's such a great it's a style that that can't be ignored.
1: No, I, I want to know em, if you are going to try the butter thing uh, and or the egg thing.
0: Or the decanting thing.
1: Or the decanting the, thing. Yes.
0: There's so there's so many like hacks and uh, ideas that both our guests have given us that are unique. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try all of them.
1: Are you gonna try twenty year old <laughs> barley? Are you gonna lay one down for twenty years?
0: I would do that. I would yeah. definitely. I had. I will say. I've had. Um. I've had a twenty year old barley because I've had a 1983 Thomas Hardy ale in. 2010. Okay. Uh, and it was um, you know, carob that like healthy fake, yeah, cho- the, like, fake chocolate like yeah. Yeah. The cho- yeah, it just tasted like carob and it had a bunch of cinnamon at the bottom, like real, ch- it was very chunky. <laughs> but uh yeah, it was I mean, that's the cool thing about beer is the constant constant evolution in the bottle. So you know, whether you're having a fresh bigfoot right? You know, two weeks old where it's bracingly bitter to, uh, you know, almost 30-year-old Thomas Hardy's ale. Like that's, there's it's it's all the same beer, but it's so different. It's awesome. I love it.
1: Yeah. Uh, two things I, I, I would add to that is, I mean, it, it evolves over time in the bottle, but also it evolves over time uh, in your glass. And so uh, I think I would encourage uh, people to, to uh, try both those things in terms of Drinking a bottle very, very slowly uh, Mm -hmm. to let it evolve with temperature uh, and oxygen, Uh, but then also like, you know, don't be afraid to buy a case of uh, barley wine that you, that you know, that you like, and then drink it over a decade. You know, I think that's,
0: that's so much fun. It's a lot. I do that. It's a lot of fun to do because you can watch how beer changes and, you know, every time you open a beer, it's going to be slightly different. And that's the fun part about it. Yeah, I agree. So visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And again, if you're feeling generous or want to check out our Patreon, visit patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. If you have questions for us, email us at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback, suggestions, and to inquire about supporting this show through advertising. Speaking of advertising, here's a short word from our sponsor.
2: All About Beer is back and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts.
3: Estrella Galicia is an independent, family-owned brewery in northwest Spain founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Ocarunia. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Galicia USA on Instagram.
0: Before we go, if you like this podcast, one very easy thing you can do to help us is to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. That helps other people find the show we would also appreciate it if you would let your beer loving friends know about all about beer podcasts and help us spread the gospel of good beer hey don how can people reach out to you
1: uh i am at the dawn of beer on twitter and instagram and my email address is dawn at the dawn of how about you em
0: and i am at pints and panels across all social media and my website is pintsandpanels.com this show is produced by all about beer visit allaboutbeer.com for articles notes on this show and others and to connect via the newsletter and social media cheers cheers